I'm not saying they're not strong. It's just that runners tend to have a lighter body frame. I think it's easier to run when you have a lighter body frame. I think it has to do with that ratio, not having a tremendous muscle mass and having just a regular amount of body fat, I think can also set you up for type 2 diabetes in certain circumstances. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. I hope you're having a great week this week. Thanks for coming back and visiting again. Before I get too far into my week, I'd like to ask you a favor. It's a favor that I ask every week. Would you please share this podcast with someone that you care about? That person might have type 2 diabetes. That person might be living with or caring for a person with type 2 diabetes. Or maybe someone who you think just might be interested. That sure would help a lot. Thanks. So for my week this week... We finished our visit up to Maine, visiting family up there, visiting with our youngest daughter and her husband and two grandsons up there in Maine. They're in York, Maine, and it's just beautiful up there. This time of year, and this episode is being recorded in May, it's warm up there, but not hot at all. The daytime highs are typically in the 70s, and we had sun, I think, just about every single day. And I was actually even able to get out and cut some grass, give them a little hand. Now, I certainly got in a lot of nice walks up there. I'm really becoming familiar with their local neighborhood. And one day, I actually walked over to one of their yarn shops. My daughter is a knitter. In fact, two of my daughters are knitters. And they're trying to teach me how to do that as well, give me a new hobby. I found their local yarn shop interesting. I picked up some eucalan. I don't know if you're a knitter or you work with hand-knit wools, wool garment, but eucalan is a brand of cleaner and conditioner that you use with wool. And my daughter knits with a lot of natural wool, and that has to be cared for especially. I thought she might appreciate some of that eucalan, so I managed to pick some of that up. But it was a great visit up there. Drove home on Tuesday, spent the day in the car mostly. and But then since then, we've been home this week. Now, yesterday, I was able to meet with another one of my daughters. And if you don't know, I have four, four daughters, and they're all wonderful. But I was able to meet with another one of my daughters down near Hunt Valley, Maryland. And we were able to take a nice walk on the Northern Central Rail Trail, which goes along the Gunpowder Falls River. And that Gunpowder Falls River flows pretty much north to south. And it was just beautiful along there. Sunny day, nice and warm, upper 70s while we were out there walking. So we really had a great time catching up. That was a lot of fun. 
For my numbers this week, I have managed to close my Apple Fitness rings on my watch five out of seven days. There's a ring for calories burnt during movement. There's a ring for actual minutes of exercise and a ring for standing and moving each hour. So I was able to close those rings five out of seven days, and that's become very typical for me. I think for the last, I don't know, five or six weeks, I've averaged five out of seven days, and I'm very happy with that. My seven-day glucose reading has averaged 104 on my Libre Freestyle 3 CGM. That 104 average glucose reading over 24-7 equates to a GMI of 5.8. Now, I will see my doctor here in just a couple days, and it'll be interesting to see when we go over the lab results, which I did take a peek at online. And it's interesting, the A1C that I got done a couple weeks ago is actually coming in significantly lower than the GMI that's being reported by my CGM. So I'll get back with you later on that. I'm going to talk to my doctor first and make sure that I'm reading things right and have to hear what she thinks about the discrepancy. But that A1C, which I'll report to you after my doctor's office visit, is significantly lower than what the GMI estimate is. And of course, it's just an estimate. But I'm going to be talking about that A1C result here in detail on an upcoming episode. For my body fat percentage, I'm at currently 20.9%. And that's, that's, I don't know, it's not quite the 17% that I was shooting for. And honestly, I was only shooting for that 17% because it's on a chart. It says that's the low end, you're, low, you're no longer over fat, if you will, at 17% for a 60-year-old man. I'm not 60 till September, but I say 60. But 20.9, that's what it is right now. And I'm feeling good. Lots of energy and getting around and clothes are all smaller. I'm still, I think, in my head shooting for that 17%. Certainly don't want to go any higher than where I am now. But whether I get to that 17% in the future, I really don't know. For my macros, I averaged 67 grams of carbohydrates this week each day, and I averaged 140 grams of protein each day, and I keep track of that on MyFitnessPal, and that's very helpful to me. For my Manjaro update, I'm still at the 7.5 milligram dose. I'll probably be at that 7.5 milligram dose for a while. If my A1C and my GMI are any indication of how things are going, there's really no need to increase that dosage at all. But that's one of the things I'll talk to my doctor about here in two days or so. Very happy with the A1C control I'm getting with that Manjaro, and I am. It's controlling my hunger. It's uh, it's really working out well for me. So I'm very happy with the combination of the Manjaro, the Farsiga, and my eating and movement. For my challenge and win this week, I did have a full day in the car driving home from Maine, so I did pre-pack protein shakes and a little refrigerator bag, and I had some protein bars. So we were in the car, I guess, about seven and a half hours from the time we started the trip till we got home, and that was most of the day. So I was able to rely on those protein shakes and bars that I brought along with me, 
and I had no desire to eat at any fast food place or at any rest stop, so that was good. I've been making good choices this week with portion sizes, and when I was out at restaurants getting low-carb options, like after our walk yesterday by the Gunpowder Falls River with my daughter, we went to Iron Rooster, and I had two of my favorites, Scrapple and Scrambled Eggs, and that was great. Now, I did ask them if they had sourdough toast, because I do like a good sourdough toast, but they did not, so I skipped the toast altogether. Let's take a look at the news this week. Four articles as usual. I hope you find these four interesting. Now, all these news articles are linked in the show notes. You get the show notes in your podcast player, either by swiping left or right or up or down. I don't know how your particular podcast player works, but the show notes are typically there. Or you can always find them over at the website solvingtype2diabetes.com. All right, so let's look at this first article. It is entitled, Younger Men Urged to Get Grips with the Type 2 Diabetes Risk. They're focusing on men under the age of 40. They're hoping that they can be spurred on to improving their health. Many people in that age range, I guess men and women, simply don't think about their blood sugar a whole lot. But what this study is showing is that if they can get changes in their lifestyle at this age, they can usually head off ever getting type 2 diabetes. So what they're hoping to do, and they're partnering here with it looks like a nonprofit to get education and information out. But they're thinking that if the folks understand the risk factors, sedentary lifestyle, eating a lot of processed, high-sugar foods, that they can make a big difference. They found out that in surveying 2,000 men of this age group, 82% on average were eating less than five fruits and vegetables a day and getting less than 150 minutes of exercise a week. So they're falling short of those recommendations. And they are eating a lot of takeout food, a lot of processed food, fast food, that kind of thing. And that's making up a large part of their diet for a significant portion of these men. So what they're hoping is by heading off their maybe poor lifestyle choices early, they can completely avoid a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, which makes total sense to me. I certainly didn't take it seriously in my 30s and 40s or 20s or any of those ages. And it was only about, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, late 40s, where I started taking it seriously, and that was only after I got a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. So I think it's a good thing. Let's look at this second article here. Now, this is very cool. We talked about this topic in a news article a few months ago, and there it was just in the research stage. But here's this article. It's entitled, FDA Clears Bionic Pancreas Developed in Brigham University Lab for People with Type 1 Diabetes. I'm sorry, it's Boston University Lab. Boston University Lab developed this. And what it is, they call it a bionic pancreas, but what it is, it's the combination of a CGM, 
and use, they're using the Dexcom G4. Also, an electronic insulin pump, which is implanted right under the skin. The delivery device, the inject, the needle, is right under the skin. The pump itself is worn, almost looks like the size of a pager. I think it's worn on someone's belt. Combining that with apps on a smartphone. So they're combining the monitor, the pump for insulin, and the apps. And what this system does is take the readings from a CGM, applies AI algorithms to it, and then delivers the insulin that it predicts the person needs. And this has been tested and it is now fully approved. There's 2 million people just in the United States with type 1 diabetes. So this is approved for their use. It's called the ILET, I capital L-E-T, bionic pancreas. It's commercially available. It's available now. So they've been working on this evidently for two decades, trying to develop all the electronics, all the smarts, the artificial intelligence, all these things. And it's going to allow people to not have to check their own blood sugar. This monitor, as I wear one, I wear the Libra, Libre Freestyle CGM, but they're using a Dexcom, very similar. It's going to allow that to just continually track their blood sugar levels. And then these are for people who are dependent on insulin, don't forget. So it will deliver the insulin that this person needs automatically. Evidently, it constantly monitors and can constantly adjust the very slow delivery of this insulin. And it's just fantastic. If everything's working, and again, this has been tested and approved, and it's commercially available now, but if everything's working, it's putting their diabetes management on autopilot. And that is just phenomenal. No longer does a person have to worry about constantly injecting or manually adjusting their pump or constantly checking their blood sugar levels. This system works seamlessly and puts it all together for the person, which I think is fabulous. All right, this next article is entitled Metformin Failure in Type 2 Diabetes. Now, I took metformin for years. I don't know exactly, but I'm going to say 10 years I've taken metformin. I recently stopped this past fall when I started Manjaro. Just within about a month or so after that, I stopped the metformin because its effects were completely made invisible by uh, the combination of Farsiga and Manjaro. So I stopped taking metformin because it didn't appear to be doing anything more for me than what the other two medications were able to do on their own. So I was able to eliminate the metformin. But it's saying here that usually, or quite often, these people stop having positive results from metformin, even though it is usually the typical drug given to people newly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. But they're saying that within 18 months, about a third of these people either were no longer getting benefits from the metformin or required an additional medication to be added. And they're saying that there could be many factors and it could be 
people's age. It could be the starting A1C level. It could be many things, but what they're saying is that metformin is no longer considered the gold standard for long-term care and management of type 2 diabetes, which is something I've found myself. And I think in the past, people said that type 2 diabetes was a progressive disease. It's going to get worse. You're going to have to start taking insulin, all these things. But now with what we know and what's available, I'm not sure that's true anymore. I know in my case and many cases that I'm hearing about, the symptoms of type 2 diabetes, namely the high blood sugar, can be put into remission. And once your blood sugar is under control, those secondary factors like kidney disease, heart disease, eye disease, all these other issues, amputations, things like that, once your blood sugar is in control, those things would not progress. All right, let's take a look at this last article. It's entitled, Study Shows Dementia Risk Increases the Earlier a Person Develops Diabetes. Now, we talked about something very similar during the last episode, and that was folks who had a stroke had a much worse prognosis if they had type 2 diabetes. So now this is similar, but instead of talking about stroke victims, it's talking about the rates of and the severity of dementia. And what this study has shown is that folks who have type 2 diabetes have a greater risk of developing dementia later on in life. And two factors, it's the severity of the type 2 diabetes and also the onset, the age of onset. So the earlier a person had type 2 diabetes and the worse their type 2 diabetes was, went on to develop sooner and worse dementia. So very strong correlation here. And they said that they said that it is not being identified as a cause. However, it is a strong correlation. So last week we talked about if you had a stroke with type 2 diabetes, you had a worse outcome with your mental and cognitive abilities. Here again, if you have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater risk of more severe and earlier onset dementia. All these articles point to the fact that type 2 diabetes is more severe than just, oh, dealing with high blood sugar. It is all those things that can happen as a result of having long-term high blood sugar. So, hope you found those articles interesting. Let's take a look at today's topic. Now, last week I said we were going to talk about carbohydrates. In fact, I said I'm going to share the five best carbohydrates in solving type 2 diabetes. Now, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not telling you what to eat by any means. But what I'm sharing here are what I found in my own personal life to be the five best carbohydrates when I'm trying to solve my type 2 diabetes for myself. Now, I'm going to start with number five and work up to number one. Number five is good. Number one is awesome. So let's start with number five. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier when I talked about eating in a restaurant. And number five is real sourdough bread. Now I'm talking about bread that is made not in a factory, but made by somebody's hands using sourdough starter. 
There's something about this naturally created bread where bacteria is able to get in there and work on those wheat flour substances, whatever you will. I guess they work on the gluten, they work on the various proteins in the bread, and the yeast and the bacteria, they get in there and perform some kind of magic. And I think it's a magic that does not happen in factory-produced, quick-rising, instant yeast-type breads. This is something that's going on because you cannot live if you were eating wheat flour. But you could live for quite a long time by eating sourdough bread. So what happens there? Because the only thing that's added is these bacteria, these yeasts that's floating around in the air. But they do something. All that bubbling and bacteria burping, if you will. It might be another kind of gas. I don't know. But something happens there. And I find that I can have some sourdough bread and it does not affect me nearly as far as a blood sugar spike as two white slices of store-bought sandwich bread would do. I've measured this. I've had regular bread in the last several months, and I've measured the spike, and I've had real, not homemade, bakery-made sourdough bread, and I do not get that spike. Whether it's toast with butter or if it's in a sandwich, the two are just simply not comparable to my blood sugar readings between the two. It's one is goes high, the store-bought bread, and one does not go high nearly as much, the handmade bread. So I'm going to say that's my number five. My number four, getting a little bit better, low-carb wraps. Now, I love to have the Carb Balance brand of low-carb wraps. These are tortilla wraps, burrito wraps, whatever you want to call them. But they only have three or four grams of carbohydrates that are digestible, what folks call net carbs. But they have 15 grams of fiber, which is not digestible. And they have a few grams of protein and a couple grams of fat, a little bit. But they are very low-carb wraps. And for one large wrap, I'm going to say it's the size of a dinner plate, they typically have about four grams of carbs, net carbs. But you're also getting that 15 grams of fiber. And when I put lunch meat, cheese, mayo, lettuce, whatever, in those wraps and have them for lunch, for example, first of all, they're large enough. I only have one. And I don't notice any blood sugar spike whatsoever. And again, as I just mentioned, if I would put a sandwich of the same ingredients on between, let's say, two slices of white bread, I would notice a large blood sugar spike. So that is my number four, the low-carb, high-fiber wraps. Number three. Now, believe it or not, number three is potatoes. Now, I'm not talking about a mound of potatoes, but I'm talking about maybe a medium-sized baked potato or potato salad or something like that, but not two pounds of potato salad, maybe half a cup, three-quarters of a cup, something like that. But when I eat potatoes, I only notice a very small blood sugar spike. Not sure what it is about me and potatoes, but we seem to get along fairly well. And I don't mind having them a normal portion with a meal or, like I said, as a side or with a steak or something like that. Don't mind it at all. Very little blip. 
don't have much of a spike at all from that. Number two, getting almost to the top now. Number two is non-starchy vegetables. Now I'm talking about everything from lettuce and carrots and green beans. I'm not talking about corn so much and I'm not talking about peas so much, although they're not terrible, but non-starchy vegetables, things that go crunch. I find I don't get any type of blood sugar spike when I eat those at all. I can have a huge chef salad. It has cucumber, radish, carrot, lettuce, various types of things, vegetables, and I don't get any spike whatsoever. And in fact, it might take more calories to eat a salad than it does that are contained in the salad vegetables themselves. So I don't find any problem with those. I could eat non-starchy vegetables all day long, every day, and it would not affect my blood sugar whatsoever. Now for me, what I found to be the number one carbohydrate in helping me solve my type 2 diabetes, should I put a drum roll in here? I'm not sure. But anyway, my number one is beans. Kidney beans, navy beans, white beans, black beans, red beans, almost any kind of beans you can think of. Now, I normally have beans in chili. My wife made some great chili just yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I had a large bowl. There's had to be at least two cups of beans and meat and chili, onions, things like that in there. But I bet half of that was made up of beans. And I saw absolutely no blood sugar spike from that at all. Beans for me are very filling. They have a whole lot of fiber. So they take a while to digest. And I think what sugar is in beans, naturally occurring sugars and carbohydrates in the beans, gets digested over a longer period of time. Because you couple that with meat or other things. And again, I don't see any spike at all. And I could have a large bowl of chili, if I wanted, every day for lunch. And it would be no problem whatsoever. They're yummy, they're filling. So beans are my number one. So counting down from five to one, real sourdough bread, low carb, high fiber wraps, potatoes, non-starchy vegetables, and number one, beans. Those are my best carbs. Let's take a look at your questions. Now, I have a comment from Kathy. It's not really a question, but let's go. Kathy writes, Hi, Tom. I'm enjoying the podcast. Look forward to Mondays and congratulate you on your great progress. Oh, thanks, Kathy. I don't have a question, but wondered if it's possible for you to pass on my email to Sue, whose question you read this week. I, too, am a, quote, skinny diabetic. I've never had a weight problem, tried to eat healthy. I've been a runner. I think Sue was a runner, too, for the past 25 years and was floored when I got the diagnosis of type 2. Most everything I've read is directed towards those who would benefit from weight loss. Till now, I haven't heard of anyone else who is in a similar situation as mine until Sue, and I'd love to connect with her. Thanks so much, and keep up the great work. Kathy. Thank you very much, Kathy. I am happy to hear, number one, that you are working on your type 2 diabetes, 
but that you were able to find someone in a similar situation with Sue. And if you remember, everyone, we did talk about Sue's letter last week, and she was mentioning how she's not at all anywhere near being overweight, yet also got a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. So I was able to put Kathy in touch with Sue, and I hope they're able to share experiences. And I would encourage Kathy, Sue, or anyone else, write back in. Let us know how it's going. Let us know if you can relate to and have familiarity with others who have written in and maybe share your experiences as well. And I think it's true. Folks who are not overweight are typically not getting a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, but it does happen. And I think you remember last week I talked about it has something to do with the ratio of muscle to uh, fat in your body. And I think they're finding that runners, folks who maybe don't have a tremendous muscle mass, I'm not saying they're not strong, it's just that runners tend to have a lighter body frame. I think it's easier to run when you have a lighter body frame. I think it has to do with that ratio, not having a tremendous muscle mass and having just a regular amount of body fat, I think can also set you up for type 2 diabetes in certain circumstances. But anyway, Kathy, great to hear from you. I hope you and Sue are able to communicate to each other and can get tips and share tips and feel free to share them back here with the podcast. Now, if you would like to write in, there's two ways to do it. First way is just send me an email. Uh, send an email to tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com. Or you can go to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes website and click on Feedback. It's up in the menu. Just click on Feedback, fill out the little form, send in your comment, your questions, your suggestions for a new topic, and I'd be happy to read those on the upcoming episode. Now, I'm going to ask you another favor. It's the same one I asked 30 minutes ago, but you're still listening, so I'm going to ask you again, just a little reminder. Could you please share this podcast with someone that you care about and thinks could really benefit from hearing what we talk about each week? I'd appreciate that. So what is next for next week? This week, I talked about what I find to be my five best sources of carbohydrates for me. So next week, I'm going to talk about the opposite. I'm going to talk about the five worst. Those things that, without fail, give me an immediate and large blood sugar spike after eating those. Those will be my five worst carbohydrates. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.